Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Absolutely love those stories. Love the stories about the, the Ying Peng Ying family, just a son and a mom and the prayers. Just a, what a privilege to be in a family where we get to celebrate those stories. Uh, and just to let you know, we are a family. Just even as our good friend Quinton was doing his business announcements, just going, God, this man's story and the life, what you've done with him, just it's, what a privilege. What a privilege to be able to be in a family and know each other's stories. It's not just a man on the microphone. It's us as a family walking together. In that light, my name is Gabe Phillips, if we have not met, and uh, I have got the immense privilege of being the husband to this beautiful lady called Fiona. And uh, as most people do when they see her, they look at her, they look at me, look back at her, look at me, and they go, how? <laughs> and uh, that's what I wanted to say. If you, are, if you do not know the grace of God, I am a living testimony. My lovely, beautiful wife, we've been married for just 400 years, and that's our little girl, Olivia Grace, clapping her hands there. There you go, nice lips, nice, yeah. Or clapping. She learned how to clap. And uh, this amazing 15-month-old um, has also learned a new skill just a week and a bit ago. They learned uh, something called walking. And uh, it's something that I'm very proud of. And, uh, and I, I take full responsibility for that, that gift of walking. I just have been praying on my knees, God, will you lift up this girl and get her walking? So it's all on me. But um, just the main thing is we were celebrating this, this new uh, achievement of hers, these stumbling steps. We were so proud of her. We are taking the photos and like, hashtagging it and going, this is our girl walking. The thought came, the moment of realis- realism hit me where I realized, you know, this is something that everyone in, in humanity basically has learned to do along the road. No one at 21 puts on their CV, I have mastered the art of perambulation, yeah? Walking for the layman. No, no one does that. Once you get over a certain age, no one's like, yo, you can walk. That's amazing. It's, it's just par for the course. So uh, this little moment came, but, but it passed very quickly as I realized my role as a dad is not to point out the, uh, the journey of, of where she's supposed to be. It's not supposed to say, Olivia, yeah, walking's good, but come on, let's move on to algebra and fractions. That's where the real money's at, girl. That's not my job because my job as a dad is not to point to perfection, it's to celebrate her progress. Now, I say that up front because I want to tell you that's who our Heavenly Father is. I want to just quell the, maybe a myth or a, a suggestion you've got playing in your head about God and say, actually, we have a Father who is not pointing to a standard with a measuring stick and saying how far you're falling short. He's there cheering you on every step of the way. Maybe your steps are stumbling. Maybe they're faltering, just like my little girl as she's learning about that journey. Maybe you're falling flat on your face many times. But every time you get up and you have confidence to you, I'm going to try again and follow Christ again. We've got a Father who cheers you on the whole way. That's who our Father is. And I want to say up at the, the get-go, whether you are look at, uh, looking in on this journey from the outside and saying, I what, wonder what this thing of following Christ looks like, or maybe you've been doing it for many years, I want to put fresh confidence in you no matter where you are. Get up, sir, ma'am, and take a step of faith. Because I believe God is going to move us on to exciting things. Speaking of steps of faith and feet, why don't you use yours, stand, and let's read Scripture together. Now, series, we're in the book of Acts, Acts 2, to be precise, in verse 38, so it reads like this, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, 
Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves. Can we read those three words together? One, two, three. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, my simple prayer this morning is would you put faith in our hearts to respond to your word? I pray, God, would you put faith in our hearts that would move to our, from just our, our, our head knowledge and understanding and would actually infiltrate into our feet so we take steps of faith in response to you. Would you do this in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seats this morning? It's really, really good to be with you. Such a huge privilege for me to be able to preach this morning here at Tableview. Um, just some background information. I grew up with a family in the decade called the 90s, a glorious decade. And that's where I found my feet in life and in faith and in journeying with, with God. Um, because I saw my parents, uh, they responded to Christ in, in the late part of the 80s. And they were day and night transformation. They responded to Jesus. And from that moment, they were boots and all, in, in with it all to follow Christ. My parents, whatever was in the Bible, they would do. They were just, they were radical. It's maybe a bygone era, but I still believe that's what we are called to. But a people who suddenly their whole lives transformed overnight. What happened was our home felt the impact of that. That meant for us, Monday nights, our home became a a, a community group. My parents led a life group on Mondays and on Thursdays. They had two different life groups. My parents were like, we're in, we're in for this thing. Tuesday night, they're doing counseling. Thursday night, they did pre-marriage counseling. Our home was just a train station for people in and out, in and out, having meals, community together with my parents. So much so that, that us as young kids, we were just involved in this, this, this messy life of community and of faith that mom and dad were on. We are in, in it together with them. Uh, some of you might remember in the 90s, there was the SABC3 had a campaign of 7 at 7. Every night at 7 p.m., there was a, a new cool TV show. Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. Anyone remember that one? Going on, good, good, good. Survivor, the first, the Survivor starting, emptying gladiators. That's a good one, come on. Jag, 18 Wheels of Justice, all these incredible, Police Academy. Can I get an amen for police? Anyone remember any of those shows? Well, I don't, because I was in community in the 90s. So, uh, there, don't feel guilty. But anyway, <laughs> but all jokes aside, I saw this life, and I moved from, from Zimbabwe to Durban and to Cape Town as a young 21-year-old to my own existence, my own home. And I thought, my life, I want, it, I want my home to have the same life. I want it to be built around the community of God. And um, so I moved into a home with a, a guy called Jonah Schutz in this church who was an academic, who was a man who had a passion for, for social justice and, and for, for feeding the poor and loving and social upliftment. And, and he was just this incredible man. There was another man called Jake Hearn who had this powerful testimony of healing and radical life transformation. And he was good at DIY. You've got to have one of those. And then we had another uh, guy from the Congo called Nathan Alunga who was a, a man of faith who loved business and, and wanted to see faith impact business and read lots of John Maxwell books. And then there was this other man called Jean-Claude Kisa who came through from Rwanda on, on the back of the genocide. And he had this, this story of forgiveness and God's reconciliation despite what had gone before. And, and we came together. It's almost like we we're the Christian version of the Avengers. 
Obviously, me playing the role of Thor, obviously. Um, but as we gathered together, you know, community was so beautiful. This is, you know, we're like a Michael Jackson song. doesn't matter if you're black or white. We're just this family. And uh, community was amazing until one evening I, I came home from the Panerotti special with the pizza and a little bit of, you know, the leftover slice of pizza. You're already planning for the next day. And, and if you've lived in a communal home, you know you've got your corner of the fridge. So I put my, fridge, my pizza in a little Tupperware, put it in the corner, labeled it Gabe. You know, because it's community. Um, and then I went to sleep that night going, God, you know, I'm going to wake up tomorrow with my alarm and we'll have a quiet time. I'll feast on your daily bread and I'll engage in some cold pizza, daily pizza in that moment. You know, and I was, this is beautiful. Community, God was there. And that next morning, I remember going down, pressed on the, the Hillsong CD in the background. This is beautiful. This was like sliding in the glory, you know, just going to the fridge. And as I got to the fridge, I opened up the fridge. Dun, 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 dun. My pizza was gone. In that moment, community wasn't a whole lot of kumbaya. There's a lot of community sucks right now. <laughs> you, can, you can take my freedom, but never my pizza. You know, but it was that sort of moment. And another moment we are, later in, the, in, the, in those evenings is we were not in a time of the drought when we could run full baths. Anyone remember those moments? Good times, eh? Good times. Ah, better days. But running a full bath, and, and remember, I'm a man of taste, so obviously some Radox bubble bath in it as well, obviously. And uh, you know, after a long day, you're looking forward to that bath. And I, I went to the, my bedroom after running the bath, getting the perfect temperature. I'm going to get my towel. And as I turned around, I saw another figure dash from their room, lock the door, and jump in the bath that I ran. This is where community becomes real. I tell you, in these moments, as we got fashion and forms, our friendships got tested, and we had conversations that we didn't think we'd have to have, fighting over bath and pizza. Real. I realized very quickly that community is messy. Community is hard. Community is beautiful. Community is intoxicating. And actually, community is the only way that Jesus calls us to follow him in. So I want to tell you this morning, as we lean into that scripture very quickly, Acts chapter 2. The setting of that scripture is a man, Peter, who Jesus called from a beach and then followed all the way through the gospels, finds his feet and his courage in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, he gets up, preaches a profound sermon about Jesus. And 3,000 people get saved on the back of it. That's a good sermon. That, that, some, you know, this, the, the power of God was there, the Spirit of God was there, and 3,000 people, they, they respond to Jesus. And the amazing thing is we read the Scripture, 3,000 people get saved. I'm going to slam my Bible down and go, hallelujah, that's awesome. But the Scripture runs on and says, they devoted themselves, and, they, and what happens from Acts 2.42 onwards to 47 is a community form. Without skipping a beat, without, without taking a breath, for a runner from salvation, community forms where no one in the community had anything of need because everyone sold property and gave it to the poor. People, if I have extra, I'm giving it to you. People were caring for one another. They were being vulnerable. They were, they were following Christ, uh, putting all these practices of what it looked like to be a Christian together as a community. And this, it's this incredible idealized picture almost of what community can be formed out of seemingly nothing. But what has gripped our hearts is that salvation comes, a community forms, and in between are three little words that says, they devoted themselves. And those words have captivated us because we feel that in there, there's some power for you and I to lean in and take a hold of in this series. So much so that we believe there's enough evidence in scripture and church history to suggest that as a side comes up behind me, you can't be truly devoted to Jesus and not be devoted to his community. Let me say in the positive, if, you want, if you're truly devoted to Jesus, 
the run-on effect will be you will be devoted to his community. And, and this is messy. This is hard. This is beautiful, but I believe it's the only way that we are called to follow Jesus. And I want to help us prove it a little bit, put it deeper in our hearts, and shift us to not just hear, but to take stumbling steps, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time of conference towards this aim. Everyone okay with that? Cool. Thank you so much. So this morning, very briefly, in my time that's allotted to me, I want to look at a scripture. It's found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. At the beginning, this man preached the sermon Peter and wanted confidence from him to preach. He was a man called into in the beginning. Matthew, the first time he heard Jesus speak to him was on a beach when Jesus walked past Peter and another, uh, one of his brothers and says, Peter, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Three points out of that text to help us on this end today. Number one is this is that Jesus, and this is how I write my notes in my Bible, so I thought I'd do it this way just so you can see my line of thinking, is that, number one, Jesus calls us to follow him in community. Let me explain that Jesus, he starts off these words, come follow me. And now these words aren't just some light and fluffy words that Jesus made up on the spot. These words are deeply intrinsic to the Jewish society. These aren't words that, are, that Jesus made up on the spot. Wow, that sounds like a cool thing I could put a hashtag to. Make it mine. Hash, come follow me, Jesus. No, these were words that rabbis said on a day-in and day-out basis when they were qualifying students, disciples, to come and become like them. Rabbis would go up to students who had made the grade, who had made the cut in the education system of the day, and they would say to them with confidence, come follow me. It was the equivalent of getting a Harvard degree at the end of your education. Families would celebrate if if their kid had a rabbi say, come follow me over them, they would be like, come on! Our kid has made it. Because all the rest who didn't get that, that, that come follow me would actually be sent to go and do their father's trade. So what's powerful about this phrase, because I've always wondered, the, the boys, they just leave their nets and they go and their dad just weighs them off. In our society, the dad would probably going, stranger danger. Who's come and taking our kids? But something powerful is like because a rabbi, a well-known rabbi named Jesus comes, where do we find these boys? Fishing. That means they had not made the grade. They'd been sent off to do their dad's trade. So a rabbi comes and says to them, come follow me. It's much bigger than just, yeah, come follow me. Hey, I've, he has a cool idea for how you fill your afternoons. I've got an afternoon activity for you guys. He was changing their lives so much so that he was calling them to become his disciples, his students, his apprentices, whose life goal would be to become like their rabbi. Let me help us. That word their disciple, I think even in our own language, has, has become misused. I know, I've said it before. Too often I've used the word disciple as, a, as an implication for somebody else to do to me. So I'll use these words. Maybe you've said them before. I'll get frustrated and I'll blame my lack of growth, my lack of uh, stumbling steps forward, my lack of ability to, to change and get over things, my ability to connect a church. I'll say, nobody is discipling me. I've said that quite a few times. No one is mentoring me. No one is getting back to me. I've said those words before. Maybe you have as well. But here's the kicker. In the New Testament, when you read the New Testament, the word disciple or follower of Christ, the word disciple is predominantly, majoritively used as a noun, not as a verb. Only three times in the whole scriptures the word disciple used as a verb. So much so that actually the, the emphasis is if the word discipling, somebody discipling me, is not a real word. It's a Christian word. Because type it in word, document, discipling, red line, synonyms, not existing. Oh. 
See, see, so often we put the onus on other people, so much so, try and make other words uh, a, a, a verb, synonyms. Christian, I'm a, Christian, a disciple of Christian. No one can, someone's not Christianing you. I'm a believer. Can you believering me? It, it doesn't work because actually the onus of when Jesus comes and says, come follow me, he says it's with the onus is on you to become my disciple. Not now somebody else's. You need to respond in this moment. And you see, the problem is actually we have, we have bought into a suckered, watered-down gospel where we say, you know, just believe. Stick your hand up. Come to Jesus, and then you can tick Christian on your senses next time. Nothing really has to change. Just, just believe. And, and yes, we do believe in a gospel of just believe in Christ alone. But in the Jewish context, in Jesus', in Jesus own words, when Jesus said, believe, the first thing he says to Peter wasn't, hey, just slip your hand up at the back. No one's looking around. I want to make you comfortable on this journey. He says to him, come follow me. For Peter and the disciples, and that response meant, Jesus was saying, as a rabbi, your whole life now is going to revolve around me. Too often in our understanding, and I've done it as well, we say, you know, my priority list is God at the top, marriage, kids, TV schedule, job, you know, and we go down the list. When actually, no, but God's at the top. When actually the Jewish understanding is actually not a linear thing like this. It's actually put Christ at the center and everything else finds its meaning because of Christ. My marriage gets informed by Christ. My kids get informed by Christ. I devote myself to Christ. I'm not giving up those things, but they're going towards Christ with me. That's what devoted following Christ understands for you and I. Francis Chan put it this way. A renowned preacher in America who is renowned for being a great rifle shot. He's got videos which he's just incredible accuracy. And he did this illustration where he said, I have a balloon. And he came and put the balloon on this side up against the wall. He walked this side. Americans have dramatic illustrations. Picked up a rifle. It's only, only in Texas. Hey? And he walks across here and he says, how many of you believe? And he cocks the gun that I can take that balloon out. Everyone, we've seen his videos. He'll put his hand up. Yeah, 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 I believe. He goes, Great. How many of you are going to come now and hold the balloon while I do it? Whew, hands go down a bit more. He goes, okay, 10 foolhardy youngsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you, one of you come up and hold in your teeth while I take the shot? All the hands go down. And he said, you know what? Now we've got a problem as he put the rifle down. Because I don't think you actually believe. You only believe until it demands something of you. And actually what Jesus is pushing when he says, come follow me, he's not just saying mentally assent to, yes, doctrinally, I believe Jesus is, I was born of a virgin, da, 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 that I'm now a premillennialist, and with all these theological doctrinal things, he's saying the gospel is not something just to nod and go, yes, I believe doctrinally, it's something to participate and engage with flesh and blood. Walk out, take steps of faith with. Come follow me. So much so that actually if when Olivia, my little girl, is a little bit older, and I say to her, lives, the room's messy, my, my, my little girl. Go clean your room. Now, after a little bit of time, if I go up there and Olivia comes and says, Dad, I memorized what you said to me. I've actually committed to memory. I've written it down 10 times. Go clean your room. It's profound. She says, Dad, I actually did a, st a word study on it. And uh, I looked up the Greek and the Hebrew of clean your room. And it's, um, it's powerful, powerful stuff. And you know what? I've got a few friends coming around on Tuesday. We're going to throw around this idea of what it would look like if we would be a society who cleaned our rooms. What do it demand of us? You know what I'll say to you? I'll say, Lives, go clean your room. <laughs> and actually, so often as Christ followers, as people who, who claim to be following Christ, we're actually not doing a whole lot of following. We're doing a lot of nodding and attending, but not engaging with. 
So what Christ says here, when he says from the beginning, he says he calls us to follow him in community. And as I said, this is might be, it's powerful because this scripture, which has really thrown me for a spin, I've known it for a long time, but as you read it, come follow me, the word that I struggle with is that word, you. Because unfortunately, that word, you, is written in the plural. Come follow me is to the individual, and I will make you fishers of men is in the plural. So from the get-go, Jesus wasn't giving us a track of how individually to follow Christ. He says, you as an individual, you will own this thing as being a disciple, a noun, it's you. But you, I will make you into a people, a community who follow me. That blows my mind, and it frustrates me, because it means that there's, I have to do something more than just mentally nod. So this is the thing I can imagine with Peter and them, same sort of understanding. Jesus comes and says, Peter, come follow me. Peter goes, the rabbi's called, I'm up. High five, Dad, I'm out of here. Pack the bag. Come on! Get, did you get a good picture for Instagram, Dad? Off, off with Jesus. And Jesus says, it's so good to have you, Peter. Peter, what's we going to call another guy? Matthew, tax collector, come follow me. Peter goes, oh, wait a minute, Jesus. That dude, you know he and I have got beef. That tax collector, that oh, he's been destroying my family so much financially. Uh, you know what he, he said to my dad though? That, Please, not Matthew. Just, just come follow me, come follow me. Then he walks and they go, Simon the Zealot, come follow me. They're like, Simon the Zealot? That's that strong right-winged politici- politici- political figure guy who's always got political party pamphlets trying to get you. Every conversation becomes about politics. Please, I can't deal with that guy. He's like, he kills every party. And then he goes, and Judas, the greasy slime ball, walks up and says, that guy never pays for his own lunch. He always forgets his wallet. Uh. If I was, you know, them, if I was Peter, I'd say, Jesus, I'm in. I'm devoted. I'm following you. Mondays is my slot. You and me. Tuesdays, you can have Matthew. Wednesday, the other guy. Judas can have Thursday and Friday. I know he needs extra lessons, so he can sit with you. But I'm good for Monday. But Jesus didn't do that. He said, come follow me and I'll make you to fishers of men. He takes 12 guys together on a journey. 12 guys who were antagonistic. 12 guys who had their own insecurities and issues of playing. Jesus said, I'm going to do it with you together. I'm going to form you. I'm going to call you together. You see, this incredible thing is, as they heard him teach him how to pray, Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, I'm going to teach you. He says, our Father. Why did he say my Father? Every little Christian devotional would, would, be, would sell like hotcakes. But our Father puts a demand saying, you cannot do this alone. This is what Jesus does from the get-go, so much so that actually this, this idea of personal quiet times, as good it is, as it is, yes, to withdraw alone and be with your Father, but personal quiet times where you sit with your Bible, open your leather-bound Bible to a very good scripture that you've highlighted neatly, put your coffee cup next to it and take a nice photograph just to prove you had a good quiet time. If you do that, no guilt or condemnation. But this idea of personal quiet time is a relatively new idea. Because actually in the Jewish culture, no one had their own personal copy of the scriptures. The priest, the, the priest of the day that would read the scriptures out. That's why Hebrews said, do not neglect the public reading of the scriptures. Every single New Testament letter mostly is written to communities, to the church that meets at, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Corinth. The scriptures are written to communities who would wrestle with the text and follow Jesus together. This is the idea that Jesus calls us to follow him in community. Secondly, he doesn't just call us, he forms us in community. See, he says this, runs on and says, and I will make you. Come follow me and I will make you. This is so encouraging for me because this is Christ's commitment 
to form you and to make you into more like Christ. Maybe right now you've started to follow Christ, but you've stumbled, you've fallen, you feel like I've messed this up big time. Can I tell you the great news is he still looks at you and says, I will make you. Make you, why? Because that tense is present continuous. He says, I'm going to take you now and I'm going to make you into something. I'm going to make you more like me. It's a journey and following Christ is stumbling, getting confidence, walking with more surety, but stumbling, falling, getting up again and following him again, hearing his call again. It's a lifetime journey of becoming more like him. Why this is so exciting for me is because Jesus never uh, loves us. He doesn't love us because of a future version of ourselves. He loves us as we are now, but he calls us by a future name. Let, let me explain. God meets in the Old Testament a man named Abram who had no kids and says, Abraham, Abram, at the age of 75, your name is going to be Abraham, which means father of many nations. If I was Abram at that time, like God, you know, I don't have any kids. Are you doing that thing where you call the fat guy tiny? Because it's like, is it like a sarcastic thing? I don't know. God's like, no, no. I'm calling you by who you're becoming, father of many nations. So Abraham, for 25 years until he had a kid, had to arrive at parties, say, hi, I'm Abraham. And they go, father of many nations. We're the kids. But actually, he was being called by a future name, who he was becoming. This man, Peter, his name, Simon, his name was Simon Peter. And Jesus in the Matthew 16 says to him, Simon, from now on you shall be called Cephas, meaning the rock. And I can imagine the rest of the boys at this day sniggering, <laughs> the rock. <laughs> and, and not Dwayne Johnson, by the way. He wasn't around. And, and giggling to themselves, like going, the rock, this guy is the most loose-lipped, off-the-rails guy. He just, you know, I can mean, you see Peter in the scriptures, he's just cutting off ears, he's getting rebuked, he's saying foot-and-mouth things, oh, I guess he, he's just going wild, and they're like, the rock, this guy is not stable at all. And actually, the very next verse, the rock, the very next verse around Peter, Jesus is saying to him, get behind me, Satan. It's like, oh, and the guy's laughing. <laughs> the rock, yeah, stable. <laughs> I bet the boys, they're just in community. And you see Peter have this up and down existence all the way, saying, I'll die for you, Jesus, then denying Jesus. And then preaching the sermon, seeing thousands get saved. And then getting openly rebuked by Paul in Galatians chapter 2 for being an overt racist. Peter, the rock. Not really rock-like. Until you stumble upon one Peter, book of 1 and 2 Peter, which he writes later in, on in life to a nation, uh, people who are in, are in Rome who are being persecuted, who are being killed by the Nero of the day, by the, 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 the Caesars of the day. They're being persecuted. And Peter writes a letter to the church saying, you are aliens and strangers. Fix your eyes on him. And you start to see the rock, a man in unstable society time, able to hold the line because he was called by who he was becoming. So here's the incredible thing, is that Jesus calls us by a future name because he knows who we are becoming. It's slow and it's hard. Little by little, he's making us, so much so that Michelangelo, the great artist, he, he made the statue of David, the famous statue of David. And when he was asked, how did you do it, Michelangelo? How did you do it? He said this profound answer. He said, I just chipped away anything that didn't look like David. And actually, that's the process Jesus has us on. He's chipping away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Sometimes it's a massive chunk where you get encounter God in His presence, and He's like, poof, dealing, like, God has taken away shame in an instant. But can I be honest? Most of our transformation is slow, messy, and hard. I wish one man of God could come lay my hand, his hands on me, and I'll be perfect. But Scripture doesn't give us that narrative. Scripture gives us step-by-step in community being transformed as we follow Christ. Here's the amazing thing is that I love new people. I love meeting new people at church. 
I love it. Do you know why? I don't know you. You don't know me. You think I'm awesome. It's amazing. You guys are like, Gabe, he is so funny. He's self, so self-deprecating. You know, such a good guy. I like him. You don't know about my selfishness. <laughs> you don't know that my wife has asked me two or three times to put, the, to put the dishwasher on before I do it. You don't know about my insecurities. You don't know my, about my fear of man that I have to grapple with and wrestle to the ground. You don't know that stuff. So I like it. The problem is that actually when we get to know one another, we get to see the stuff that actually the Bible says bear with one another doesn't mean bear with new people. You don't have to bear with new people because they're easy. How's your week? Great. Good. Cool. Mine was two. You have to bear with people when it's hard, when it's ship, uh, chipping away at you, when it's making you more like Christ. Here's the amazing thing. Just to, I know in church context, I often I go, oh God, your church will be so much easier if it just wasn't for that person or that person. If I didn't have to walk with them, then I'm in. I'm into that small group. I'll join a, a life group. But there's those two people that just won't stop talking. Let me tell you, God is using them to shape you. But here's an amazing thing that I've realized is that maybe you might be the grinding agent God uses to shape someone else. Let me tell you, not everyone lights up when I walk into a room. <laughs> not everyone's going, Gabe's here. Some people are like, Gabe's here. That guy. But actually, this is the thing. I am not, and you are not, maybe a great thing we've got to understand in community. I'm not the easiest person to love, and neither are you. But God has put us together to shape one another, to bear with one another, to love one another. Even Scripture says the one I love to outdo one another in honor. That means that I can get competitive. <laughs> I'm going to honor you. I'm going to give you the best parking space. No, you're going to get the best parking space. No, 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 no. I'll walk to church. <laughs> outdo one another in honor. See, this is what, when we wrestle with community, that this is, we get formed in community. Finally, this morning, you find, he says, he empowers us in community. Fishers of men. You see, out of community, when we just have this narrative of we need to do community, the, the immature ear or my ear often hears, hey, you need to just have friends and do Christian friends, get nice Christian people around you. That's the lowest form of Christian community. But actually, Jesus is forming us. He said, follow me in community. I will make you to fishers of men. I'll give you a bigger existence than you already have. Because we're left to my own devices, I live for very small, insipid goals. I live for very comfortable, easily attained, keep my feet up, just let my life be uncomplicated. I just want to pay my bills. I just want to watch sports. I'm happy. But God says, I'm going to make you more like me, and that's too small a goal for you. That's too small a, 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 a journey for you. And he pulls me out of just, pulls the fishermen of just fishing and trying to get their quota of fish a day, saying, I'm going to give you an existence that's going to shape the future of humanity. Fishes of men. And actually, when we're outside of community, we forget that very quickly. Outside of community, I've got gospel amnesia. This journey of following Christ becomes about me and my comfort and my happiness. Jesus, why haven't you answered my prayer of giving me the lotto numbers? It's too small. And I actually need my brothers to remind me of making disciples. Because it's in community that I learn to be generous. It's in community that I learn to serve. It's in community that I learn to be vulnerable. I don't have to be vulnerable with anyone if I'm not in community. We get to do it and we get to become more like Jesus. We're on this mission that actually we get empowered and we get to pour our lives into something eternal. I, I land with this story today. Years ago, there was a man in the 1930s named Nicholas Winton. And Nicholas Winton, one of my heroes, I've, I've fallen in love with his story. 
because he was a young man in the 30s with rumors. He was living in England and rumors of war was starting to break out that a man named Adolf Hitler, the shadowy Adolf Hitler, uh, and and, and the Third Reich was starting to oppress the rest of uh, Europe and moving across Eastern Europe and mo- starting to, to take nations and going across Poland, Czechoslovakia, heading across and with ghetto camps all along the way and, 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 and this, this atrocity starting to break out and fear gripping people. And Nicholas, I can imagine in his narrative, he said, it, it didn't really concern me in my, my small life in that moment. So you just read the paper, you tut-tut, you shake your head and you move on with your existence. See, until I started to realize that actually he started to read about the, the children that were being left homeless, they were being left parentless, they were being killed, and generations that were being totally obliterated because of the German march across Europe. So he said something stirred inside him, so he took two weeks off of work, got on a train, went across to the Czech Republic, Czechoslovakia, and he arrived there, saw the, the, the fear, the the panic as, as Hitler was coming closer. Hitler was coming closer. And parents are going, oh, hearing the rumors of what's happened and what is going to happen to our kids. And so what he did with, with no legal backing, with no standing of his own, he set up a desk in the square and said, I can help. So parents came with and there was any hope. They gra- grabbed hold and they brought child after child after child. And they said, will you take my child? Will you help them escape? Will you help them escape? We can't, but can you take my kid? And he meticulously wrote down letters and their notes of the parents' names, the kids' names, the age, the, the, the photos, the identification numbers, and, and put as much as he can of a, an orderly account of all these kids. And those two weeks he left with over 600 children on a train back to England, waving goodbye for the last time to their parents who they'll never see again. They arrived in England. He managed to get them into foster homes, into homes, into orphanages, other people's. He just, he just managed to get this all sorted. So much so that uh, after this all happened and all the 600 were accounted for, he picked up his briefcase and went back to work. Didn't tell people because apparently this is what you do. In 1980, his wife, who was also not familiar with what her, her husband Nicholas had done, she was rifling in the, in the attic and she came across that little notebook. As she started to read that notebook, she started to be very perplexed about all these records of Czechoslovakian children. So she went down and said, what's this about, Nicholas? And he said, no, and he explained the story, what had happened. And she said, this, this, is, this is not something for the addict. This is, this is history. We need to tell the story. And he's like, all right. So she took it to the BBC. And at the BBC, they heard this. They loved the story. So they actually invited them in. And, they, and this is, you can watch this account on YouTube. And uh, they did a show where they told the story of what he had done, just as I have now. And Nicholas sitting there, now much older than life, 40 years on, wearing horn rim glasses, sitting there and listening to the story. Um, and then at the end of it, she said, the lady host says, and Nicholas, the woman sitting on your right was one of those children. And at that moment, the woman turned with eyes there, with tears coming out of her eyes, and she grabbed his hands, saying, thank you, thank you. And Nicholas, with, speechless, didn't know what to say, you're so shocked. And almost even more dramatically, the woman said, is there anyone else here today who owes their life to this man, Nicholas Winton? And one by one, the rest of the studio audience, who we thought was a studio audience, were all the children who'd been saved by Nicholas all those years before stood up and applauded him. He sat there weeping, Nicholas, just sobbing. And I was one of, no, I wasn't one of this one. <laughs> I really debated saying that. How to ruin a moment. I say this. That as I watched the story, Nicholas Winton died two years ago at the age of 104. He died as a man who was knighted. He became Sir Nicholas Winton. He has got statues of him in the squares of Czechoslovakia. He's the patron saint of children in Czechoslovakia. And when they interviewed him before his death, they, they said, 
Nicholas, the, the, the interviewer, a bit cheekily, said, you went on a two-week vacation and came back with 600 children. That's a wild trip. And he says, it gets wilder. He says, I've had done the math, and I've been told that those kids had kids, and those kids have had kids. They actually went on two-week vacation. Now there are 15,000 people alive because of me. And as he tells this story, and as I read it, I start, I've been stirred and going, actually, when we give, get to, Jesus invites us into a story that is much bigger than you and I can imagine. That I thank God in my life there was a man named Michael Sillias who pulled me into community when I was, was, was just, I like Jesus, but I don't know about this thing of community. And he pulled me into a story. I thank God for men and women who, who have walked with me in community, who challenged me. I thank God for Wally. I thank God for this eldership team. I thank God for men and women in this community who have called me out on things, who have challenged me on things, who have supported me. Because actually in the community, little did they know was they investing in someone that I believe has got something bigger than just my mere existence. I want to tell you, it's in community that God puts eternity in our hearts, that God gives us stories that account bigger for than just the Monday to Friday. This is what we're called to do. We're called to devote ourselves, not wait for somebody else to phone us, not wait for the church to say, come on, get into small groups. For us, we don't do life groups or small groups or serving teams because we think we need to do it to be a church. We do it because we know that community, small groups when we gather and do life to each, with each other, that actually when we do life together, there's no other way to follow Jesus except in that way. To be truly devoted to Jesus, you have to be devoted to his community. I want to land by reminding us. He says, come follow me. A call to every individual here. No matter if you've fallen, you've stumbled, you're, on the out, you're looking out, you're unqualified, he walks up to you today and says, come follow me. You can be like me. And he says, I will make you. I will form you. I'll fashion you. I'll chip away at the things. I'll, I'll shape you. I'll mold you. I'll make you more like me. And I'll give you a, a fishes of men. I'll make your ordinary existence to something that you cannot even believe or imagine now. That you'll look on back on one day and go, how beautiful is the, the inheritance that I have because of, I gave myself to community. And all of that is surrounded with that word, you. Popping out, saying, this is not just for individuals. This is for individuals to walk together in as a community. The incubator of following him, of him making us, and us becoming fishers of men, is all revolving around in community. So, ma'am, whether you're sitting on the edge, whether you're new, I invite you, take a step of faith. Maybe you go, I, I don't know, how, how do I even begin that journey? I just need a stumbling step like Olivia. How do I start to walk this out? Join a life group today. Join a serving team today. Joy, stick around, have coffee, and meet a new person today. Can I tell you, it's, it's, I'm not telling you anything that's easy. It's hard, it's messy, it'll demand much of you, but there's no other way to follow Jesus. Let's pray.